0: That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince dot com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Hi, everyone. I made it to one year. I, if, you have, if you have endured my like really annoying voice for a year of episodes, thank you. I really appreciate you. I will start out my story with, I decided over the weekend, I was having a really kind of a crappy day. I had this big fight with my mom. Um, I, I, The girl loves to shop. That's me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to head over to South Coast Plaza. I had to get a strap for one of my purses. So I was like, you know what? I don't really want to go to Beverly Hills. I'm going to go to South Coast Plaza instead. I'm sure that the people there are not as high maintenance. I've been to the South Coast Plaza before. And for the listeners that don't live here, the South Coast Plaza is in Orange County. So if you watch Real Housewives of Orange County, that's kind of what it is. So I don't want to be obnoxious and say the store because it just I just sound obnoxious even telling you where I was going. But it's a very high-end store. I'll say that. I get to the store. I drove the 45 minutes from where I live on the freeway to get to this store. I get there. There is a line, a line, which is, that's a for COVID protocols, right? So I meet, I'm one of those people that will talk to anybody. Like I'm on an elevator. I just like to talk to people. I'm one of those people. So I I get in the line and I start talking to the people in front of me. They were not wearing a mask. It really freaked me out. <laughs> and I realized, um, we're in orange County. We're not in LA anymore. So that was the first thing, but you know, I started talking to them. We, they were really nice. Um, and they told me, Oh, we've already been waiting in line for 15 minutes. So I said, okay. So we, you know, I stood there and then the line started to get bigger and it was like wrapped around the, the store. And I looked inside the store and there was, you know, maybe like, eight people in the store. And there was this one woman and she just was trying on scarf after scarf. Now I'm giving away what it is, but anyway, scarf after scarf. And then she would kind of like crumple it up and like, leave it on the counter for the sales associate to put it away. She walks out of the store after I'm not kidding. 45 minutes does not even purchase anything. At that point, my blood was like to a boil I ended up standing in this stupid line for one full hour of my life that I will never get back. Right when I was the next person to go into the store, and I apologize for this long story, but it, it, this is when it gets good. And this is when you know that Megan Judge is a hothead. This, I'm going to say douche lord, because that's exactly who he <laughs> was, comes to the front of the line to the security guard. I'm pretty sure his name was one of two names, either Biff or Conrad. I don't know. And he goes, he goes, up. Uh, hi, um, can I talk to the store manager? And then he's with five old ladies with bad plastic surgery faces. And, you know, you can tell they're really well off. They're all decked to go shopping, which is so weird to me. I'm like in my sweatpants and no makeup. And he goes, is... Is Janine in, the store manager? She knows me. My name is Conrad. And then I hear the woman, like one of the women, she's like, oh, Conrad, let's just leave. I have to go to Saks Fifth Avenue. This just isn't worth it. And he's like, turns around, he goes, J-, he goes, stop it. I'm just, they said, whenever I'm in the area to pop in. So then I literally, I was like, Jesus, take the wheel because I am about to yeah. lose my freaking marbles. The, okay almost done with the story. So then the security guard gets the store manager. She comes to the door. I could tell she was like, Oh, vomit. These people are gross. So the, the store manager says to the, to the guy, um, okay, there's a line and she, and then he starts being like, well, don't you know who I am? Which like, I was just so grossed out long story short. There's an people behind me waiting for an hour. I did not say anything. If it was two years ago, I would have had a mall fight. And I'm not kidding. They let all six of those people into the store. The five old women that were just gross. And they were like, I heard one of them go, oh my God, it's like this when you go to Rome also. And I was just like, Honestly, I went in the store. They didn't have my stupid strap. So I stood at that dumb line for an hour. Hello, rich people problems. It's so it's obnoxious that I'm even saying this, but I got back in my car and I literally was like, this is why people hate white people. And there's such a thing as white privilege. And I wanted to drive home and I did actually, I drove the 45 minutes home and I felt really disgusted by myself. And I mean, I know I didn't do anything and I was just shopping and whatever, but I felt sad for the people and I started like going down the rabbit hole of like people, these Haitian people like sitting under a bridge that are just, you know, there's so much, so many people that could do things to help make our planet and our world better. And then there's like douchey Conrad getting into Hermes, probably drinking. Oh, I just said the store. Crap. Yeah, it was Hermes. Conrad, (laughs) you were a douche. (laughs) That's the end of my story. I want to end it there and just say, Conrad, I don't like you and I don't like your dumb old lady friends with the bad plastic surgery and we're (laughs) going to start the show. So I talk a lot about how much therapy saved my life and how lucky I am to have my amazing therapist, Dr. Nay. But not everybody can get an appointment with Dr. Nay. And I really wanted to break the stigma on getting help or asking for help. So that is why I've partnered with a company called Online-Therapy.com. They have plans that start around $30 a week. And you can get weekly therapy sessions for less than $50 a week. You can also get my 20% off code by going to my website, judgingmegan.com and you go to the therapy tab. And if you click on the link at the bottom, you can get 20% off your first month. So I'm going to introduce my guest right now, Clara McKinley. Um, Clara, I am just so so grateful to have you on the show. Um, this is my one year anniversary. Like I just talked about, it's kind of fitting that on my one year anniversary, I would have maybe not Dr. Nay on, but I would have like some kind of connection through Dr. Nay. And I also think knowing and reading your bio, we, we do have similarities. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to kind of get right into your story and we're going to start at the very beginning. So um, share away, Clara, share away.
1: <laughs> oh my God. There's so much. Um, pick a point, any point. I, I would like to know, I I want to
0: go all the way back because I want to hear about what it was like with your parents. <clears throat> I know that it was not. Okay. An easy childhood. So I if you're okay talking about that, I would love to hear you share that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I probably won't be as in-depth as I was in my bio since I took six hours writing that on the plane ride to New York.
0: <laughs> That's okay.
1: But, That's okay. Um Yeah, so I was born and raised in Manhattan Beach, California. Both my parents, as I mentioned, are immigrants. They're both from Argentina. And they came from humble homes. Both of them came from highly abusive homes. Um, A lot of physical abuse on my dad's side and alcoholism, sexual abuse, and uh, some other stuff on my mom's side. And, you know, my parents uh, came to the U.S. just like many other immigrants looking for a better life. And I think really just trying to start over and get away from their own families, I think, without knowing that. And um, they did their best. They raised us, obviously, in a wonderful area. They, You know, Manhattan Beach is extremely privileged, and it's one of the things that I'm grateful for, but I also resented a lot in my early 20s. Um, and... Uh, you know, growing up, I, so I I grew up with Chandler, Nadine's daughter. That's why I know mm-hmm. Nadine and that's why I was at the wedding. But, um, you know, like I grew up going to Manhattan Beach schools, uh, public schools, and looking around me and feeling like, okay, I look like everyone else, but I don't fit in and I can't relate. Uh, and that's weird and I don't understand that. And this isn't something I could even conceptualize at the time. It's something that in in recent years I've really come to grasp. And so I befriended the kids of color and kids from uh harder homes, kids who very clearly had abuse happening in their homes as well. And um my parents hated that because they were. I think had some sort of internalized racism, of course, coming from Argentina and looking white themselves, and that led into all kinds of issues that snowballed for me. Um, always fighting with my parents about trying to be friends with certain people and them pulling them away from me, and just feeling very, very alone at home because my home environment was awful. And How many? Do you have very any siblings? Do you have any siblings? I do. Sorry, I'm, the, I, I'm. No, no, you're good. I, I am the middle child of of two, three. We're three total. Okay. So I have okay. an older sister and a younger brother.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm and, assuming uh, too that it that it was. I don't know what Manhattan Beach was like because you. I mean, you're still very young. And I don't mean that in a condescending, rude way. I actually, I actually met you and this is kind of a funny story to, sorry to make like your serious story, but just to tell my audience, (laughs) when I met, when I met Clara in person, I was actually, Dr. Renee was in town. She's now in, um, in New York. She, but we, when we have, when we, we, we have zoom, um, therapy, when we have therapy, Or, um, one time she happened to be in town. This was probably like six months ago. And I had been Mm -hmm. kind of like back and forth with Clara for a long time, you know, like she would send me emails, like reminders of appointments or whatever it was. And, um, I, I knew she was something special. I don't know. That sounds weird to say, but you Aww. can tell, I could just tell right away. Cause, and also Dr. Nay is such a loving person and she loves you. And so I was like, Oh, I have to meet, I have to meet the, the amazing Clara in person. So <laughs> Dr. Nay like, Cla- Clara happened to be at her house and she goes, Clara, come into the office. And literally I was like, Oh my God. Like I feel really, really bad. <laughs> I feel really, really bad about myself right now. And Dr. Nays like, I know Meg, right? Look at her, and she oh has—God, like, she's literally Clara's gorgeous in her twenties. <laughs> has the best figure I've ever seen in my—I've never seen a better figure in my entire life. <laughs> like perfect figure. And I literally looked at you, and I was like, you make me really sick. Um, yeah, I just did. have. <laughs> I did. I was like, I just have to tell you, go. Roller skating in a thong at the grocery store immediately because you're not going to look this way forever. Take it from me. (laughs) Oh my god! And I'm sorry to break up like the seriousness of like your story, but I really needed my audience to be able to like if they can't see you, understand that that was my very first intro to Clara. So I wanted (laughs) to I wanted to share that. But on on going back to this,
1: those words echo in my mind. I went grocery shopping this morning, but I don't know how to roller skate.
0: I can't figure it out, sister. Because if there's
1: one thing in my
0: life that I wish I could go back to, I'm in my fortes. Shout out, old ladies. Um, (laughs) I I wish that I appreciated what I look like in my 20s because I would... I would be at the grocery store and I would learn to roller skate and I would be like that crazy lady on the strand roller skating in my bikini. That would be me. So do it and learn. I will. Um, I will do it. Okay. Back to like the serious (laughs) stuff, but I had to share (laughs) that story. Um, Was, was Manhattan beach. So this was like growing up very young. Was it as, as, it wasn't as well off as it is now, was it? But back then, I'm assuming it was still like keeping up with the Joneses, a very wealthy, affluent totally. area. Correct? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That totally. long-winded story was the <clears throat> point I was trying to get to that question, and and you say <laughs> that you befriended, you know, all the kids of color. When you say all the kids of color, I, I I'm assuming you went to Costa. I so mean, those were the the, the kids- three.
1: The three, the three that attended my whole point.
0: schools. right? Okay, okay, right, and right, right. Of course, your parents, your parents wanted you to be in a certain crowd, like passing, you know, with all the like rich kids hanging out with those kids. That's what I'm assuming from what you've shared so far. Right.
1: Exactly. Okay. okay. And um, <clears throat> what I realize now, looking back, is that. The reason we befriend or children befriend troubled, quote, unquote, troubled children, um, they identify with them. Whether the parent wants to acknowledge it or not, their child befriends troubled people because they have similar traumas and they can relate to those people. And that is what my parents could not see we were white and yet I was befriending children of color who I'm not saying like children of color come from trauma. We all come from trauma. Your skin Mm -hmm. color doesn't matter. But in this crowd of the Manhattan beach, white privileged children who I'm sure were very sheltered and protected and yet had trauma of their own. I didn't identify with them. I identified with the children who came from domestic abuse uh drugged out parent, um, you know, trauma that was a little bit more than my dad works all the time and my mom is over medicated. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You know and it
0: also it all it, you also are an ace. So you're you've experienced totally. first childhood experiences like I have, which I talked about a couple episodes ago with yeah. um Dr. Glenn Sheraldi. Um so it does make sense though why you would be drawn to those kids that in in a way was it you rebelling looking back on it
1: you know i think um you could uh, my parents would call it rebellion i mm-hmm. now understand that i was the identified patient of my family so in family systems theory which is a theory within psychology um there's usually the one child the black sheep of the family who outwardly exhibit all of the symptoms of the family unit's trauma so my sister went the other way she became the perfect child straight a model un um you know this accomplishment and that and then I became uh the black sheep of the family my dad has a different name for it but I don't think that's yeah, appropriate say, to say. say the name no yeah, say so- the
0: name I'm I'm, I'm very, and I, by the way, I'm the black sheep of my family too, but right. that makes us awesome. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, my, my sister was the perfect child and I was titled the family fuck up. That was my lovely nickname at, growing at, up. At what age
0: was that your title?
1: Um, probably in my
0: teens. Yeah. Having, having a parent say something like that to you sticks with you forever. Oh,
1: definitely. Definitely. Um you know, and so I began to exhibit a lot of symptoms that as a parent you would look at me and say, "What is wrong with this child? This child needs major major help." Um which is what I ended up receiving, although none of it helped. Um in fact, it wasn't like, "Yes, I needed the help, but it was my parents that needed the help more than I did as we both know um so in my early teens I started to rebel I started to you know get interested in boys from an early age um I started to kind of not pay attention at school not prioritize it I don't know if my inability to pay attention was due to like this boy craziness and rebellion or due to my inability to focus because I had so much trauma happening in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, but because of that, my parents took me to a neurologist, had me diagnosed with ADHD. I was put on Adderall at the age of 10. Um, and that was kind of the start of it. So I started going to therapy when I was in fifth grade, started being medicated around the same time. And, uh, From there, it just kind of snowballed. I started shoplifting a little bit here and there, started with like nail polish and press on nails. And it went all the way to these beautiful pink and white checkered sheets from Pottery Barn Kids because, yeah, because of course I've been obsessed with interior design since I was a child.
0: I mean, I'm not trying to laugh, but I also, it's similar to my own story of being, (laughs) I I was also diagnosed. I actually never shoplifted in my life, which I'm shocked. That's one of the one things I haven't done, but um, I was diagnosed with ADHD at the same age, but actually Mm -hmm. I was maybe, I was in seventh grade because it was seventh or eighth grade. It was after my dad died. So it must have been eighth grade. And I remember that feeling of feeling different, you know, Mm -hmm. being being your parents being like, what's wrong with you? Like I have yep. an older sister, two older sisters, both amazing athletes, straight A my oldest sister straight A student, and I was like the black sheep and and also yeah. had ADHD. And it's normal that you would be like, um want to rebel against that because, you know, what else do you do? So right. But pink checkered sheets is definitely an interesting an interesting choice for a kid that age to shoplift. I,
1: I know. I'm still slightly proud of myself to this day because I'm like, how? Like, how? The, the, like how the did genius you do it? of my child yeah. brain. I mean, I can tell you, but we've
0: got more important things. No, to talk that would about, be like a like... whole separate episode, and I'm not trying to promote shoplifting on my podcast. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so. so- So you, you, they sent you to a neurologist, you found, you found out you had ADHD, started shoplifting all things that numerous kids have done. And then I know from also being on Adderall and having being pushed to be medicated as a kid, it's, it's not fun. It's hard. You feel different. You feel sad, right?
1: And then come the side effects that then you have to go back to the psychiatrist to get more medication for your side effects. Um, and so, you know, so I'm like, at this point in my, I don't know, my tweens and going into my teens, um, was diagnosed with ADHD and then depression. Um, and so I was being medicated for that and then going into my when I so so I was pulled out of MBMS because I went to Grandview Elementary. Then I switched into MBMS, and a year into MBMS, I was pulled out because my behavior was just too too much for my parents, and they put me in a private Christian school in Torrance because they thought that that would solve everything. Which it oh, a hundred percent.
0: That always right. solves everything.
1: Right, send, her to, send her to
0: a Christian school, right? Right. No. Exactly. Let's, no, let's that's get her to work. be more
1: suppressed.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So, so that didn't work out. No. So that didn't work out. Of course I get there and I befriend the one child who's in the foster system, but going to that school and she was like my best friend and we got into all sorts of trouble together. And it was the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> and um, from there, I was in seventh grade when one afternoon after my parents picked me up from school, we were heading to Mexico on a family vacation. We were driving and we got into a car accident and I nearly died. Um, it was extremely traumatic. and. I was hospitalized for a few days after that. Um, I'll never forget that my dad walks into my hospital room when I have glass in my face and a neck brace on after getting a CT scan, and he says, "Oh, you're just being so dramatic." So, <laughs> if that I think that oh sums God. up my dad. Um, and mind you, I was thir- I was thirteen or fourteen at the time. Um. I had just nearly died. And from that point on, things got really difficult. I was in the hospital for a few days. Once I was released, um, of all people to drive me home, my sister who had just earned her driving permit was the one to drive me home because my dad didn't want to come back to the hospital to get me. And my mom was, I think, too traumatized to drive. So She left it up to my sister to drive us home, and that was awful. And when I got home, um, I no one said a word, it was just everyone was minding their business. And we got home, and I went straight to the bathroom to take a shot, a a bath. I ran myself a bath, and I lay I'll never forget, I laid in that bathtub, I put my whole Head in the water to get all the blood out of my hair. And I could just hear pieces of glass hitting the bottom of the bathtub. And I just watched the bathwater turn like a light pinkish red because of all of the dried blood in my hair. And I tried to kill myself that night. And I survived because your will to live is so much stronger than your will to die. Also, I didn't know that you can't. you can't drown yourself, <laughs> but I thought that it would work um
0: well, you were later, so
1: you were so young. how old were you i was four. I was fourteen i think
0: fourteen yeah yeah I'm and, first, I just need to say, like I wish I was with you because I would give you the biggest hug because you. I think that no matter and I know not to skip ahead, but your your psychology your, your, your studying to become a psychologist. Right. Um, that's right. Yeah. And, and you study the brain and you know all about this, but it doesn't mean that your past is kind of like this weird ghost that will always (laughs) creep up in your mind. Right. And you're like, go away. And that, that your wounded inner child, as much work as we do on our wounded inner child, it it's still there. And it's so healthy to talk about it, but you can talk about it and be in the place that you're in now, which we'll talk about on the episode, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that that wounded inner child of that little 14 year old girl that was so heavily mistreated doesn't need the biggest hug right now. And I wish I was physically there to give you one because that's a really horrible story. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you.
1: Thank you, and I think your reaction goes to show the 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 quality of mom that you are to this day. Because my parents still have not had that reaction.
0: You know what, though, and and is my daughter will not agree with you right now when you just said that because (laughs) she came home from school and I was like, "Are you sure you're sick?" But um, (laughs) um, we do the best we can as parents, but when you have that our, I mean, I talk about this often is your brain was like, not even halfway developed, fully developed no. and to have to deal with that amount of pain of having a parent call you the family fuck up or mm-hmm. not being driven home by, you know, like this, this is mm-hmm. like, he should have complete his negligence. License. Yeah. Like he should yeah. have been arrested and not, and I, and I, and I'm sorry to butt in but and say that, but I can relate in many ways because I also went through a lot of, uh, situations with, um, within my own family hierarchy. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. So I can relate yeah. it's, it's, and you, and I, I can forgive, but I can never forget. And I'm, and I'm wondering if that's right. how you feel too.
1: Um, yeah, I'm still working on the forgiveness part. I, I think it's unfair to ask my wounded inner child who went through all of the abuse to forgive what was done by adults who should have been there to protect me. I -hmm. forgive things that have been done to me now as an adult, but I don't necessarily I don't necessarily forgive what was done as a child. I just can't, I don't know. It's it's a weird place for me to be. And maybe that's just because I'm in, in that growth process now and I'm still young. I'm 20, I'll be 28 in a month. Um, But I don't, I don't, I don't forgive that. I don't. I, I just, I can't bring myself to do that. Because it wasn't, it technically wasn't
0: that, it wasn't so long ago. I mean, it was like,
1: it wasn't. It was, yeah, like 13 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it gets worse. It gets
0: much worse. I know. Worse. I know. I know. So that's kind of. But I had to stop there because the fact that you were that age and mm-hmm. you attempted to to not to want to leave this planet and were so like so there was like so much negligence by your in your family unit I mean it just it breaks my heart so and not
1: just negligence I mean there was of course there was neglect a lot of neglect mm -hmm. but there was also a lot of abuse my dad is a raging narcissist and also scores clinically as a psychopath and I don't say I hate using that word because it's just been so overused and dramatized by Hollywood and the media but truly he is clinically diagnosable he has no ability to feel any sort of empathy he is completely self absorbed and has been abusive in every single way physically emotionally verbally and sexually to myself and my siblings so there was there was a lot happening at home and it was all so confusing and subtle because of his pathology everything if it felt like a magician like if you watch what I'm doing with this hand you can't see what I'm doing with this one and so I think we were all including my mom living in I mean we were all living in a war zone but it was a war zone that looked like Manhattan Beach so it was yeah from the outside
0: nobody knew what was happening on the inside which is also difficult because people think,
1: oh, everything's fine. Right. I think what I wrote in the notes was that I was living in a war zone that looked like pottery barn. That was the line I used. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, and so, that's a good line for your book that you're going to write <laughs> someday. So don't definitely.
1: forget it. No, I'm going to, I'm going to write it down after this. Um, so car accident happens. We get home five days after the car accident, I start to pull my hair out. And it was just like one strand at a time here and there. I had no awareness that I was doing it until Mm -hmm. my sister pointed it out um, because I think I'd kind of developed like a tiny little bald spot. And she said, I used to do that and you better stop because you're going to get a bald spot and it's going to get really bad. And I was like, whatever, she's nuts." And sure enough, um, that's what happened. I kept pulling my hair out and I it it got so bad that I think maybe six or seven months after the car accident I had bare I had barely any hair left on my head and mind you I like had this thick coarse Latina head of hair that was unmanageable I mean I needed two thick hardcore hairband to hold it up in a ponytail. Like there was a lot of hair and I pulled all of it out. Um, and I hadn't realized it was that bad until the kids at school started to point it out. And on vacation one day with my family, uh, my dad said, I think, you know, you've had enough. I think we need to do something different. Let's, let's shave your head. And so. I had no, I mean, I I had no hope. I I was just completely, I I couldn't, there was nothing left inside of me. And so I did, I shaved my head and, um, I was, I must've been, I was 14 at that time still. And I returned to school with a shaved head and I started getting called cancer girl in Manhattan beach in, well, at this point, I was still going to the Christian, the Christian, um, oh, okay. Okay. um, middle school. So, I mean, but no different, like they were still ruthless.
0: Yeah. Kids can be, kids can be so mean. Yeah. So what, so what ended up happening?
1: So, you know, at this point I had been, it'd been like five or six years of my parents taking me from one doctor to the next neurologist, psychologist, psychiatrist therapist um I had a diagnosis of ADHD depression, a mood disorder, um, anxiety, and OCD and I was medicated for all of these. I was on about seven medications by the time I was fourteen years old um and what that does to a a child whose brain is not even fully there i can't I can't speak to that um, and so things just stayed bad for a while. My parents could not understand what this hair pulling disorder was. They couldn't understand why I was struggling so much. I couldn't perform in school. I was still boy crazy. Um, and they thought that if things continued to go this way, I would end up pregnant or I would start doing drugs or something dramatic would happen. And so My dad decided that it would be best for me to go to boarding school. Um, I had no knowledge of this. So one night, I think it was like two, three weeks before I was about to graduate middle school, I woke up to two large burly men standing in my parents' room because I had fallen asleep in their bed one night, which never happened. And I was, I was kidnapped in the middle of the night. And taken to a boarding school in Utah, driven nine hours, and I stayed at that boarding school for eleven months. Um, I didn't this, get to see This was a through. boarding
0: school for kids that um, had behavioral issues. Correct.
1: Right. It wasn't like a beautiful, ritzy boarding school for privileged children. It was a, it was a behavioral program for. For troubled teens. And it was Christian similar because
0: similar to the one that Paris Hilton <laughs> yeah. talks about in her documentary, yes. correct? Okay. Yeah. I actually, Very similar.
1: Very similar.
0: I actually went to an all girls boarding school, but mine, I was lucky. It was a good, for me, it was a good experience. Although I was kind of sent away also. But I mean, I can't imagine having mm-hmm. those two giant men. Like, how terrifying for you.
1: I'm like, why are like, what is the necessity? I'm, I weigh 95 pounds. I'm 14. Like, what am I going to do? And so, yeah, it was, it was really terrifying. It was terrifying. And I was there for 11 months. It was awful. Um, I, I don't think that I've processed much of that yet. Uh, I barely remember any of it because I think it was so traumatic. Although I do have some nice moments and memories from that school, but most of it was pretty awful.
0: Some of the stories. Yeah. Some of the stories that they talk about on, on the, I mean, I watched part of that Paris documentary. Was there similar stuff going on in that, in that boarding school as well?
1: There was, I would say that there wasn't as much um, physical abuse as, there was at Paris Hilton school, um, mm-hmm. but Utah does not have child protection laws, which is why most of these schools are located in Utah. Um, there was abuse. It was more subtle. Um, but there, yeah, there was definitely some crazy stuff going on in that school. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty terrible, but I you will say it out. I've I've blocked some of it out but I will say yeah. I am still in touch with the program director for the for the female academy of that school. I actually saw her last year. That was my first stop on our road trip. I went back to the school. It's no longer there. It got shut down. Um which I think speaks for itself and Yeah. It was really sad but cathartic to to be in those hallways again and to just and to show my partner, you know, this is where I spent a year of my life. And it was it was nice. I think it brought a lot of healing that I needed to experience. But um, there's still a lot there that I need to process.
0: Um You have time, Clara. I promise you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have lots of time. You're just at the very beginning. Let I me just ask you. So then you were there for eleven months, and then what happened? You got sent home.
1: And then I got sent home and, mm-hmm. you know, I think my parents thought that there would be this huge, uh, change and there really mm-hmm. wasn't because the problem has always been them. I mean, of course, like I have my own things and I'm my own person with my own issues that caused a lot of other things to happen in my life, but they did not work on themselves. So I came home to a, the same toxic environment. Um, What happened while I was there is that my parents separated. And by the time I came home, they had gotten back together. And then just a couple of months after being home, my sister comes out with allegations of sexual abuse against my dad. And I was uh, 16 at the time. Mind you, still bald because what I have, it's this disorder is called trichotillomania. It's an obsessive Mm -hmm. compulsive rooted disorder and it's Mm -hmm. a trauma response. And, um, I was still dealing with that and going to Miracosa at this point, which is just as bad as MBMS. And then living in the war zone still. And my sister now, now, you know, comes out and says that my dad actually had been sexually abusing her for many, many, many years. And it tore our family apart. Um, at that point, my mom had to make a decision on who to believe, and she believed my sister. I was somewhat stuck in the middle, uh, not not willing to let go of my relationship with my dad, but also not willing to let go of my sister and not really knowing what to do, so living very, very confused for many years, and actually, it wasn't until... Um, earlier this year, that I finally accepted the reality, which is that he had been, in fact, sexually abusing her and possibly also me. I'm still working that out in therapy. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to get fractions of memories back um, because I do somatic psychotherapy now, which we can get into in a little bit. But um, it was a really tough time. And I, at the same time was like in my junior year of high school and, you know, getting ready to apply to college. And so then my parents filed for divorce and that sent me spinning into a really, really deep depression. And I ended up dropping out of high school at that point because I couldn't, I was sleeping through every single one of my classes. I I couldn't function and it was just too much. And so I dropped out. And my dad left. And there was some peace finally for a little while there. Um I was still, you know, like still in therapy, still just doing my best, but things are really tough. And so I started working. I was working four jobs at 17 and just trying to keep myself busy. Um, and it's so,
0: it's so much. And what I find fascinating by this, what you said is how upset you were at the, at the thought of losing your father. Yeah. And how you had a trauma bond Yeah, with your father, which Dr. Nay talks about in the <laughs> book and we'll, we'll point that out, um, that, that it's, you had a Full fledged, full on trauma bond.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I thanks for saying that. Cause I've never, I mean, obviously I'm I'm very well versed on trauma bonds now mm-hmm. and was in one not too long ago, but I've never thought of my relationship with my dad as a trauma bond, but that's exactly what it was. Yeah. It was it was such a thick trauma bond. Yeah. You're so right. And it makes
0: me sad that it's like you just spent your whole life trying to keep your head above water, you yeah. know, like trauma after trauma, after trauma. And then finally, thankfully your mom, they got divorced Yeah. and you could breathe.
1: Mm-hmm. You right. know,
0: you're still in therapy. It sounds like you were heavily over medicated. That's a totally separate episode. Yeah. I, you know, I think we both probably will agree on over medication and what it can do to people's brains. Definitely. Um, so, so, so talk about once you, so then you were looking at colleges. Did you end up going to college or I what didn't. ended up happening? No, okay. I
1: didn't because I just kind of looked around at my life and I was like, all right, so all the money that was supposed to go toward my college fund has now been spent on their a, divorce. Yeah, on yeah. a seven yeah. year divorce. Ugh. And, um, I was like, I'm not in any shape to go to college right now. So I had a moment of clarity and I was like, all right, I'm going to drop out of high school because this shit is absolutely pointless and I hate it and I hate everybody I go to school with and I'm not going to get into any college at this point point. and I'm going to go to community college and I'm going to get a year ahead of everybody else and get great grades and go to a college on a full scholarship. And so that was initially the idea. At the same time I dropped out, California cut their uh, education budget in half. And so I wasn't able to get any, any classes at the local community college. So that's why I ended up working. Um, and I just fell into a, a great job. I was working three restaurant jobs and was also working as a writer for a startup and worked my way up in that company to be a copywriter, an editor, a web developer, and I learned how to code websites.
0: And you sound like a really dumb girl. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm just, I know. I'm like so inspired by the fact that, like, I mean, I'm gonna tell you something. You're a freaking fighter. Yeah. You've fought tooth and nail to keep going. And there mm-hmm. were so many reasons why you could have just exited stage. What is it? Stage left. You could have been done. And you were like, no, I'm going to work four jobs. I'm going to do this. I'm going to drop out of high school. Everyone does like, I'm pulling my hair out. I'm this, I'm not, I was abused. My parents mistreated me, all the things that you went through. And yet you're like, no, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to like work my way up. And then you did it like (laughs) bravo. Thank you. Like, give me a break. Most people could not do that. Most people don't have it in them to be a fighter like that, Clara. It's amazing. Why? Why do some people just like ride through life and it's like, yep. you know, like Conrad at the fucking yeah. Hermes store. Oh like, my God. I don't think Conrad has gone through the shit that we've gone through. No, probably but not. But that's a totally separate thing. Okay. Yeah. So you, you work your way up. You finally have yeah. your, like a career without right. the college education. So then what yeah. ended up happening?
1: I wouldn't say it was a career. It was definitely a really good job to have in my late teens, in my late teens, really. Cause that's what, what it was. Um, mm-hmm. 19, this is like 17 to 19 that I'm, I'm working and I'm having this lifestyle. Um, at 19, I have I found out that my boyfriend of a year had been cheating and, you know, things at home were still very up and down with my parents' divorce because that didn't finalize until many years later. And so I drunkenly decide, you know, I'm out at a bar in Hermosa at 19 and I drunkenly decide, you know what, I'm going to move out and I'm done. Like I'm done with this. I'm like, I'm so over this lifestyle. I'm going to move out, have my independence, and do whatever I want. And I said, well, if I move out, where would I want to live? And I decided I would want to live in New York City. So two months later, I was on a plane to New York by myself with $800 to my name and my whole life in suitcases. Mm -hmm. And I, I moved. I figured it out. I got there. And the time I lived in New York was really fun, but also really awful because I was confronted with a lot of myself. Um, Mm -hmm. and there was no one there to save me or, um, help me dig myself out of the trenches that I got myself into. So what I, while, while I was in New York, I ended up getting into a really, really, really awful, um, abusive relationship with a guy that was Twice my age, and was separated with three kids. Looking back, I'm Mm -hmm. like, "Oh my god, how did I like hello daddy issues?"
0: (laughs) I know I went through the same thing. I dated men in their forties when I was in my twenties. I get it. It's textbook, right? Totally. It's It's totally textbook
1: daddy issues.
0: Um, Yeah,
1: and you know that relationship brought me to my knees by the end of it. Um, And Mm. he you know, when I broke up with him, uh, had gang members following me, he was making threats against my life. He showed up at my job. Um, you know, it was just, there was so much abuse that like, it's just a lot to get into. But by the end of that, I had to go and file for a restraining order against him, which I was granted, thank God. And I must've been 20, 21 at that time. And so at that point, I really, I felt like I hit rock bottom and, um, you know, I had been working three jobs just to sustain, to, to support the, the two of us. And he had put me on cocaine to get me through my shift. And so here I was 21 heartbroken. Cause of course I was obsessed with him. I loved him to death, but also terrified for my life and coming off of a Coke dependency. I wouldn't call it an addiction because I wouldn't do it on the days that I was off. Um, it was really just to get me through the shift, but I was detoxing from Coke and just miserable. And so a friend reached out, invited me to church and I went and I had a come to Jesus moment and became a Christian, um, for many years until A few years later, um, I ended up working for a nonprofit. uh, A couple of years into my faith, and while I was at that nonprofit, um, couple uh, months—it was like six months in—I was sexually assaulted by my boss, who was an ordained priest, married, father of two children, and uh, looking back, I realized I'd been groomed from day 1 by him. And when I turned to the church, mind you, I will definitely name the church. It's Hillsong Church in New York City. You might have heard a couple things about them. I have. Um,
0: yeah. They've yeah. been in the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So this was it's the
0: um it's like the kind of what is the kind of Christian Christianity? It's like the new new it's age like, Christianity. Yeah.
1: yeah. Right. It's like the non-denominational. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, so I turned to my church for support, and i had you know I had a lot of respect in that church. I was working volunteering on a couple of different teams, but primarily the green room team around pastors and celebrity guests and so when I turned to my church for support, they removed me from all of my positions and told me that I wasn't safe for the pastors to be around, and that um I could no longer. Volunteer in my positions. So they essentially blamed my assault on me and ostracized me from the church. So at yet another,
0: church. another kick in the stomach, another, right. at my lowest. another, uh, at your lowest. Right. I mean, this is, I, I've not, I mean, this story is just, <laughs> it's I know it's just like,
1: it's like, I can't, I wish I was making this up. Um, but it does get better.
0: Um, I know it gets better. I know yeah. it does, and that's what I love. I love what a fighter you are, and I really, honestly, I know it's it's inspirational. Thank so, you. so what ended up happening? So you ended so up leaving New York. I left.
1: Yeah, I left. Well, I left okay. the church. I stayed in New York, okay. and thanks, thank God, I stayed in New York because what came after that was really great. Um, while in New York, I worked in tons of different industries. I worked as a bartender a server a bottle service girl a florist an event planner i managed a restaurant i worked at this nonprofit i mentored at-risk teens like i did so many things that taught me so many different lessons and i acquired so many different skills through those jobs on top of the skills i already had going into new york as an editor and a writer and a coder um and i and i'm I'm really grateful that I allowed myself that time in my early twenties to delve into different points of interest because I think that's what your twenties should really be about, and I use every single one of those skills if not if not daily weekly, especially in my job now, which is why I'm able to do everything I do for nadine um, mm-hmm. and so by the time I left New York or yeah. By the time I left New York, I had been, I was managing a restaurant, working as a florist and an event planner. And my dad was in and out of my life. I didn't have a relationship with my sister. It was just too much to to bear. And at my dad's suggestion, um, I enrolled in one, in two classes at the local community college. And uh, because he was really passionate about me getting an education, which I had totally given up on the day I I dropped out of high school. I thought that it wasn't for me. I wasn't built that way. My brain couldn't, couldn't manage academics. And so I agreed to take two classes. I enrolled in an English class and a psychology class because I was really good at English and psychology had always been interesting to me, especially having been in therapy since fifth grade. So. Yeah. You become kind of a professional, right? It's interesting
0: how many, how many people that have gone through, I mean, most therapists are trauma survivors. I would say like 95%, right?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I completely fell in love with psychology at that point from day one. Thank God I had a, a professor who was obsessed with psychology because I think that makes a world of difference. And, um, from that day, I just knew I am tired. I don't want to I don't want to work jobs anymore. I want to have a career and that's going to require a college education. So I kind of looked at everything and I, I, I decided to move back to California because that was what made the most amount of sense. And I moved in with my dad, um, cause I did not have a, very good relationship with my mom at that point. And I still had not accepted the reality of what had happened in my home. I was in total denial about my dad. And I also, I mean, like, there's a part of me that loves him. To this day, I love him. I don't have a relationship with him anymore, but um, he'll always be my dad. And so- You can't really explain it, like why you feel like,
0: they're still your parents, you know, like they, it's like this, it's, it's so complicated to explain to somebody that can't understand relationships that are.
1: And it's weird too, because like, I, I have a relation, I don't have a relationship with my dad anymore, but I have a relationship with my mom. And yet I, there's a part of me that, that says if my dad would just clean about what he did and ask for forgiveness, I might be able to entertain that, but I'm still so angry at my mom who did not abuse me in the same way that he Mm -hmm. did, but she failed to protect me. And so it's this weird relationship that I have with like different parts of myself and my parents that I'm still coming to terms with. I mean, there's so much there to, to sift through, but I have a lifetime to do that.
0: You do. And you're so, I mean, I mean, I'm pretty open about talking about, um, like, I love my mom. I talk about my mom a lot on the podcast, but I I can relate because my mom married an abusive, psychotic, alcoholic, and didn't stand by when he was abusive, physically abusive to my brother, mentally abusive to me. Um, and I, I still have anger. I still have rage. I still work. I still have to work on forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I'm a lot older than you are. So it's it, this it's you know sometimes this stuff can take a lifetime. I think yeah. part of life I talk about this a lot is it's a series of tests.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: your final test on this planet, maybe you're at peace with everything. And to be honest with you because you are so chronologically young and you do have your act together after all of the shit that you've been through, (laughs) I don't even worry about you. You're (laughs) going to be present. You're going to be like president of something one day. And I'm going to be like the chubby old lady in the audience. Like, remember me? Oh my (laughs) God. No, (laughs) you'll be side stage. (laughs) (laughs) Side stage. Um, so, so you, but it does make sense. I get it. I get I get that you're like, okay, I shouldn't be bad at my mom, but I am. And this is all normal after what you experienced. And I know you understand this because you study psychology, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that you don't feel the pain and the anger and all the things that we feel when we've been betrayed. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So I moved back, moved in with my dad, enrolled at community college. This all happened within the span of like 10 days decision to like to do college full-time and then move back to California and get everything going um and I killed it I graduated with a 4.0 from Long Beach City College at top of my class with honors and um made so many friends that I still love and cherish to this day and got into UCLA After that, I transferred um, to finish my last two years of my undergraduate degree at UCLA. And that's when things kind of hit the fan again. Um, As I was starting UCLA, I met a guy. um, Mind you, like after two years of going to school full time, working part time, um, volunteering with three different nonprofits, and just doing like other miscellaneous things. I had no time for anything outside of academics. And so coming off of that, I was just ready to unwind a little bit. And um, it was during my time at community college, actually, that Nadine comes into the picture. know, um, I'd known her my whole life, but we'd lost touch for many, many years. And we reconnected. I actually helped her move into her home in Hermosa, which is the one that you and so many others knew. And she hired me as her personal assistant. And it was very part-time and very like, just very easy, just running errands and doing some basic things like that. And I I worked um, all through community college in that job and all through UCLA. And I'm still in that job, which has evolved exponentially since then. Um, but right before starting UCLA, I met a guy who was very exciting and, uh, kind of presented all of the lifestyle that I had suppressed in my two years at community college. And we ended up getting into a two year relationship that lasted the whole time I was at UCLA. And he, it was very much another trauma bond. Um, he was. I later found out a Coke and sex addict and had been cheating on me the full two years um, with 25 other girls. I counted them. He was also on, Oh, it gets worse. Um, He was also on Grindr and was paying. Yep. He was on Grindr and he was paying um, trans prostitutes regularly for services. So that was really fun to find out heading into COVID. Oh,
0: I, I'm not, I mean, I really am. I say, <laughs> I said this, I'm speechless. I really am. Spe- I don't know what to say.
1: <laughs> like, I can't make this up. Like I, it's just. If
0: you did make this story up, like you're the a genius, but like I, this, <laughs> I need to see this movie. This is, I. I I can't even believe it. These are just like patterns of people yeah. though, that you were drawn to and it all totally. makes sense. And you know, this, mm-hmm. if you read a book, you would be like, yeah, but it, when it's your own life, you don't, you can't break patterns so easily, you know? Yeah, totally. And what, I, couldn't... so what did you do? Uh,
1: when I found out. Yeah. I hope that you like, I don't um... even know
0: what you did. <laughs>
1: you know what? I'm really proud of the way that I responded because I did not respond in the same way that I had to other cheating exes. Mind you, all of them had been cheating. Um, Oh my God. I did not respond in the same way. In the past, I got loud and scary and, um, a little crazy this time we had broken. Like we were like, we, we break up every I don't know, four or five months, because that's just what a trauma bond does. Um,
0: yeah.
1: And the, the night I found out, I, he was asleep. I found that because I looked through his phone, Um. which if you're looking through your partner's phone, you shouldn't be in that relationship. I'll just throw that yeah. out there. Um, yeah. And I woke him up and I was like, hey, I looked through your phone very calmly. It just was like, I looked through your phone. He got mad. And I was like, you don't have a right to be angry right now. And I told him like, I know everything. I, are you okay? <laughs> That's what I said to him. Like, so no, like okay? taking
0: his clothes and throwing them out the window and starting a fire or any nope. of that just, no, nope. okay. Cause nope, that shows that. what kind of place you must have Evolved into, yeah,
1: yeah. I I mean, that's unbelievable. You know, I wasn't like part of me was surprised, and then part of me also wasn't. And I just said, like, I, I hope that you find the help that you need. You know, I hope that I was like, did your have you told your therapist about this? Mind you, his therapist is an expert in sex addiction, uh, and it's someone I had found him for him. So I asked him, have you told your therapist about this? And he said, no. And I was like, oh, well, maybe you should tell him. I think he could probably help. Uh, We're done. And, you know, I don't ever want to hear from you again. I'll drop off your things tomorrow. And I really hope that you find what you're looking for. And two days later, after I had kind of processed a little, mind you, like I didn't sleep for four or five days after that, I was in such shock and was so disconnected from, I think I dissociated. I was so disconnected from any level of emotion at that point. Um, and I emailed his therapist and I told his therapist everything that I knew, um, because his therapist is forced to confront him with that information out of, uh, like it's, it's the ethical code that the therapist needs to tell him, Hey, this person emailed me and this is what they told me. So I knew that in, in one way or another, he was going to have to confront that. And, um, that was it. And I've never had contact with him again. And he lives three minutes away from where I live. Um, Oh my God. I hope that at the end of this, you tell me who this is
0: secretly, because oh, I, I
1: have I, like, no
0: problem. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about it after because I know young lassies in this town, and I don't yep. ever want any of my little young girlfriends to end up dating somebody like that. But what I will say, and and because I I I'm afraid this podcast could be four and a half hours. This has <laughs> happened to me before. I would like to know after you got out of that situation, cause I see your life now and the mm-hmm. shift and how happy you are. You have a new boyfriend partner. You. you just, you just had your year anniversary. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me like where you are now. This
1: has to have a happy
0: ending. It has a really
1: happy ending. This has been like the most depressing podcast, but no, it actually ends really well. No,
0: it's actually (laughs) not because there's so many people that are listening. And if you are listening to this and you're going through a hurt, like we all go, most of my listeners have struggled. That's why they listen to the podcast. They've gone through something, death, loss. We all go through things at different points in our life. There's no such thing as an easy life. Some souls, just so you know, we I've talked about this before. You, my dear, chose to choose you chose this life for yourself. Like we're given the choice. And sometimes I'm like, why did I do that? But then you think about all the gifts that you've been given at such a young age that you're so knowledgeable. And now that you're in the place that you are, you're gonna help so many people. Yeah, absolutely. So many people with your
1: story. Definitely. Thank you. So where I am now, um, yeah, right after that breakup, I became really good friends with a guy who had been in my life for a couple months at that point. Um, who is now my partner. His name is Ben and he's all over my Instagram. Shout out to Ben. Ben. I know. I love you too. (laughs) Thanks for being the best partner. Um, if I I ever
0: find out that you hurt Clara, Ben, you have like an old lady coming after. You. Oh, he's got a mob
1: of people. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> but he he won't. He's he's a good one. Um yeah. So after that breakup, I put myself in therapy. I went to therapy twice a week and did a lot of work on myself and finally understood why I had dated the same person over and over and over and over again. And I think something broke inside of me at that point. And I will never ever Ever be in another abusive, toxic, trauma-bonded relationship again, because I see the red flags from 19,000 miles away. Um, and so Ben came into my life. We were friends for a while and developed like a really beautiful foundation for the relationship that we have now. We had a lot of really difficult and uncomfortable authentic and transparent conversations about ourselves, about each other, about points of friction in our friendship that we could anticipate were going to be issues in the relationship. And we really went into it with a lot of intention, which is different from anything I've ever done before. And um, we're now a year in, we took a two and a half month road trip last year across the whole U.S. in the middle of covid when we were a month into our relationship, which was absolutely crazy, but also the most incredible experience and the best thing that we could have done for our relationship because it brought us closer. And, um, I am now in January, I'll start my master's program to become a therapist. And I've now been working for Nadine for five years and, you know, she's doing great. Um, my dad's out of my life. I have started to repair the relationship with my sister and my mom is in my life again. I actually live with her, which is a work in progress. And um, yeah, that must be hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's an, it's, it's interesting, but I am really grateful for it. I'm grateful that I have a safe space that is, you know, I, no one's gonna abuse me um, yeah, she just irritates me a little here and there, and yeah, but that's normal, yeah, yeah, that's normal. And we hash it out, and she's willing to learn. Um, that's the most important thing. And I have an incredible therapist, I actually uh be Nadine's old therapist, Bob Kaufman. He's incredible, he's located in Redondo, highly recommend him. Um, he okay,
0: so Bob Kaufman, for my listeners that, um, because everyone reaches out to me about Dr. Nay and she's very busy and she doesn't really take new patients. No. If you are in the South Bay maybe Bob Kaufman would be willing to take new patients. Can we can you really briefly talk about um, um, EMDR and how it helped you? I'm yeah. I have my appointment. I have my appoint, my first EMDR session. I've gone to the to the lady you recommended Dr. Taylor. Two times. She's my
1: old therapist.
0: Oh, okay. So she's yeah. doing EMDR with me. Mm-hmm. Um, she's great. And yeah, she's very nice. So then I go to on tomorrow's Wednesday. I go Wednesday for my first session on EMDR. Like yeah. where you do the actual like tapping and all that stuff.
1: It's really interesting. EMDR is really interesting. And that's like a whole <laughs> we could do a whole episode on that.
0: Should we do we should do another episode, maybe bring yeah. in Dr. nay
1: yeah. yeah, we could do that. Um, yeah, so I did. So when I started going to therapy twice a week after the breakup, I was actually seeing yeah. your therapist, Nora Taylor, who's also great okay. for EMDR. And we did EMDR, and I was able to process a lot of the embodied trauma I had. Now I'm doing somatic experiencing, um, which is a very different type of therapy. It involves using the entire body. Um, to move stuck energy and process like old traumatic emotion in a way that e- it's, it's very different than EMDR, but they kind of accomplish the same thing. Um, and so I'm see, I see Bob once a week, I'm going to see him on Thursday. I'm really excited. And that has just like therapy has just saved my life. I mean, I therapy has every saved percent. my life.
0: Yeah. Therapy has saved my life and, and the people like you're, you're given this lifetime, right. And the choices, I mean, you've been given, like, I've, I don't, I, I've met a lot of guests. I'm in my one year anniversary of the doing of interviewing trauma survivors. Um, you pretty much might take the cake. I mean, there's, <laughs> <Yes>. I've, <laughs> I've had a lot of like traumatic stories be- told to me and, and everybody comes out of it in different ways. And then there's people that decide to push it down and never do anything mm-hmm. about it. And what is in, so inspiring about you is that you are like, no, I'm not taking no for no. an answer. I'm going to keep fighting because you're the fighter that you are. And I love that you have a passion for getting yourself to a place where this is not going to define you. And yeah. um, and my my past is not going to define me. Mm-hmm. My future is what I, I look forward to. And you know what? I look forward to your future. I'm so glad I know you. I think you're like an, like unbelievable human being. Um, and I'm just so grateful that you came on the podcast. There's a reason why we're all connected in life. Um, I really believe that Dr. Nay is a gift uh, like that yeah was that you know i've gone like you gone to therapy throughout my life and i've never really met somebody that you know is so it, it does what she does it's her job yeah but she's also genuine and like i know she cares about me and like sometimes she'll just like text me things and it's mm-hmm. so sweet and i love that i see that in you too and i think that you're just like a incredibly special person and just always remember that all this freaking shit that you've been through <laughs> is not defining you anymore no. and you're breaking it you're gonna have this amazing practice and um I'm just excited to see what you do so thank you Clara thank
1: and, you and Morgan. we're gonna have a
0: we're gonna have a part two and in closing I have something to tell you I am no longer going to say at the end of my podcast I've made this decision Uh, keep living, keep praying, keep growing. I'm changing my tagline because I think I can, because it's been a year. And so my new ending to my podcast is something that my dad used to say. And he said it all the time because my dad was a really incredible person that I lost at 12. Um, He said, be happy by making other people happy. And so I think Clara that you're you're making other people happy. I think that my life's work is to try, even though I'm a real shit and right now my husband and I aren't speaking. Oh real freaking yeah, we're in a big fight. Um I'm giving him the silent treatment. But I'm gonna try my best to do live my life by making other people happy. So in closing, moving forward, thank you, Clara. Be happy by making other people happy.
1: Thank you, Megan. I really appreciate you letting me come on. So I talk a lot about how much
0: therapy saved my life and how lucky I am to have my amazing therapist, Dr. Nay. But not everybody can get an appointment with Dr. Nay, And I really wanted to break the stigma on getting help or asking for help. So that is why I partnered with a company called Online-Therapy.com. They have plans that start around $30 a week. And you can get weekly therapy sessions for less than $50 a week. You can also get my 20% off code by going to my website judgingmegan.com and you go to the therapy tab. And if you click on the link at the bottom, you can get 20% off your first month.